0: And jumping into deal machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace. You can send them postcards. You can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, you know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really to get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomz.com slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're gonna get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um get out there and happy deal finding.
1: Thomas, I uh he always calls me Thomas, but he uses my full name. And uh he says Thomas, I um uh uh I don't know how to say this i said go ahead man what's the matter he said um my wife was just diagnosed with a brain tumor and she's six months pregnant with twins and the doctors don't know if they could save her much less the girls and i i was wanted to ask you if maybe and i said hey i said listen for a second
2: welcome to the get traction podcast if you were ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, this is the show for you. With your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Zeeb.
1: Hey, it's Tom Zeeb here with my producer, Harry Duran. Hey, Harry.
2: Hey, Tom, how's it going today?
1: Awesome. Well, welcome back everyone. We've gone through a lot on the podcast so far. We've talked about uh, finding the deal, making the deal. We've talked to one of my students and now I think it's time we talk about get paid. How do you get paid? Because I don't know, Harry, that sounds like a real kind of important point in the whole grand scheme of things is how do we get paid?
2: Yeah, exactly. I think uh, when a lot of people get into something like this, their end goal is figuring out how to get paid And, and probably sometimes they jump ahead and they try to figure out how to get paid without doing the necessary groundwork, which I think is really important.
1: Yes. Now, look, the, speaking to that point exactly, there are a lot of fascinating items in the get paid area. And a lot of people love to learn how exactly do I control a deal and how do I manage conflicts and what are the contracts like and what do I need to know. And that's all fantastic knowledge to know and to have. And you need it to be successful. But if that's all you know at the beginning, if you never take the action in your marketing to find a deal and if you never actually talk to people and pinpoint the problems and package up a solution and persuade them to take it, then you never get around to getting paid, much less having to use a contract or anything else. So I always want to stress the importance of how important it is to start at the very beginning and then work your way around. That's what we're after. Sounds good. So if you think about where we were in negotiation and and make the deal, the whole goal of a good negotiation is to get to a single word. That word is the word yes. We want them saying yes. So when we have finally convinced them to say yes, we brought them from no to yes. Now we're not done yet. It doesn't start raining money just because they said yes. We get them to sign a contract. Now we're in the get paid area and we have to talk about contracts. Harry, it's legal. Contracts are super important because real estate has to be in writing. You can't have oral agreement in real estate. There's no Oh, you know hey I really like your hat uh, I'll give you ten bucks for it and you say yes and fine that's technically a contract it's an oral contract it's spoken it's not written and that's fine but that is not the case in real estate that legal contract has to absolutely be in writing and that's where a lot of people get intimidated by it now if you do it right with the right kinds of contracts nothing can go wrong you're protected Worst comes to worst, you can get out of a contract and walk away scot-free losing nothing losing no money And all you've done is spend a little bit of time, but time is a good educator. So there's nothing wrong with that. So having bulletproof contracts is super important. And that lets you move ahead fearlessly, because if you have nothing to lose, if you can't go wrong, you can't get stuck with a deal that is no good. You can't be forced to buy something that wouldn't work. And if you're not going to lose any money, then why wouldn't you move ahead? It's simply a matter of getting the contracts right from the beginning. So that's I call that my bulletproof contracts advantage because when we have a solid bulletproof contract that locks the seller in to the agreement we've made, that locks my buyer in when, I, when I'm eventually going to wholesale it, and it gives me absolute and complete control. And that is what I'm always after is me being the one in control.
2: One uh, one question on that you mentioned getting the yes obviously is the first step, but that's a verbal yes, and I would imagine the time between getting the verbal yes and getting the contract signed is, is a pretty critical time because you don't want them to say yes verbally and then change their mind because too much time has gone by.
1: Sure, that can happen. So usually what I'm doing is I'm is I'm moving them to get that initial verbal yes. And I tell them, say, look, okay, we're agreed now. I'm going to send over a contract that has exactly what we talked about. I'd like you to read the contract, review it. Let me know if you have any questions, then sign it and get it back to me okay that's it if i'm remote now if i'm there face to face with them i say here copy the contract please read it it's simple my main contract that i buy properties with is only four pages long so what usually winds up intimidating people is so many board contracts in most regions across the country are i mean many many pages They they could be 15 pages 20 pages 30 pages my region's 43 plus pages and then depending on how many addendums you put on these things these contracts get big and they're intimidating, and it's a lot of complex, intimidating legalese and legal language, and that, that scares and confuses people. That's why I approach them with my contract, which is a whopping four pages, written in plain English. I put this contract together with two of my attorneys, and my my job. I, I feel, look, I'm I'm the you know, I, I'm the boss. I to the attorneys. Here's what I want. I'm the investor. I need a contract that does X, Y, and Z. They're the attorneys. They need to come up with a a contract that is legally binding, enforceable, strong, but that also does exactly what I needed it to do, X, Y, and Z. And one of the big points, too, was that it'd be easy to read. I want it written in as plain English as possible because I know I'm going to be sitting down at somebody's kitchen table or in somebody's living room, handing them the contract, asking them to read it, understand it, ask me if they have any questions, and I got to be able to answer those questions and then carry on or be able to do that remotely if I'm emailing them the contract, let's say if they're an out of state owner. So those were the important things to me as I had my contracts developed. They had to satisfy what I do as an investor. It had to lock it in legally and lock it in tight so nothing could interfere with it. And it had to be in plain English. And part of that also keeping it easy was keeping it short there's nothing more intimidating than, hi, here's 30 pages of, of, of legalese, oh, here, read it. I'm just, let me know if you have any questions. Well, obviously there's going to be questions for something like that. So when you keep it short, it's short to the point, it's everything we need.
2: And because it's short, it's something that the seller feels that they can consume relatively quickly.
1: Yes. Cause it's short, it's concise, it's simple. They understand it. They read it. If they have any questions they, they ask. If not, they are ready to sign. And I always give them, you know, you said, well, what if they don't wind up signing? Well, if I've given them a contract that confirms what we said, right? We've gone through the negotiation process. I've pinpointed the problem. I've packaged up a solution. I've persuaded them to say, yes, they did. Now they have to back their yes up in writing. You know, they have to back up their verbal yes by signing a piece of paper. But if the contract does all that, they're calmer and they understand it and they feel solid about that. Plus I say, look, I'm not taking, I'm not gonna take the deed from you at the kitchen table. We're gonna to go to a, a settlement office or you know, an escrow office, a title company, someone who's gonna close the deal. And those are that's a third party, a professional third party. It might be an attorney, it might be an escrow officer. It's always somebody licensed by the state to do this. And so there's a there's a base level of trust that nothing's gonna go wrong here because it's not, it doesn't feel like a backhanded under the table kind of deal we you know we're going somewhere you know soaked in daylight right not hiding in the shadows and we're there and everything gets taken care of and they know everything is done to the letter of the law and done correctly
2: and to clarify for them this is a contract that gives you the ability or the rights to sell the property on their behalf
1: yes it gives me the right to assign my position in the contract so effectively what we're after let me give you the the technical legal term. Okay. Um, And everyone can write this down. Uh, I won't be able to spell it, (laughs) but but I will be able to say it. It's when you have a, a legal contract to buy a property, you have something called equitable interest, equitable interest. So effectively what that means is you have rights and responsibilities to buy that, to buy that property. When you have equitable interest, the courts have backed up for years and years and years that you have the right to do with your equitable interest as you please. Well, as a wholesaler, what I please to do with it is sell it for a profit to somebody else, the good old fashioned American way. I'm I'm going to take my position in the contract and I'm selling all the rights and responsibilities. So equitable interest, another way of saying that is all the rights and responsibilities in that contract. And that is what I'm selling to somebody else wholesale. I'm assigning that interest away that way. They pay me for it. They pay me for the right to take over my position in that deal, in that contract. So I'm not actually technically selling the property. I'm selling the contract on the property. I'm taking those four pieces of paper, and that's what I'm selling is those four pieces of paper. It's a beautiful
2: thing that way. And how long do you hold those rights once the contract is signed?
1: Oh, the moment I get it signed, I immediately start marketing for a buyer. Because if I don't find a buyer within a couple of days, I start to worry that something's wrong. Hmm. And since I'm dealing with a motivated seller, and since they're motivated because there's a problem in their life or a problem with their property, they're in trouble somehow. I want to help them. I don't want to hurt them. So if it's not going to sell, I immediately want to know so I can decide what needs to happen. Do I need to renegotiate the deal or do I need to cancel out of it? Remember, my contract allows me to cancel out scot-free. So I'm not going to get stuck, but I don't want to hurt somebody. Again, it's a motivated seller. They have a problem. I don't want to hurt them. So I'm not going to waste their time. I'm not going to wait a whole month before deciding what to do. If I don't have buyer interest within a few days, that's when I know something's wrong and I'll either renegotiate with the seller or I'll flat out, uh, cancel it and walk away.
2: Uh, what percentage of deals have you had to walk away from? Cause you haven't been able to find a, a buyer.
1: Oh, it's very few. So occasionally if I, the only time it happens when you don't find a buyer is if you screwed something up, like there have been times and what you're going to screw up is someone doesn't agree with what they think the value of the property is after it's all fixed up. So that's called the after repair value the ARV or the ARV. If if the buyers don't agree with you on that, and you prove that by comparables, they don't agree, they're not going to take the deal off your hands. That's one number you can screw up. The other number is you can screw up the repair estimate. And when you look, and if you know if you tell somebody it's only going to cost forty thousand dollars to fix up this property, but they look at your photos of it that you've sent to them, uh, and they go, "There's no way that's at least a that's at least an eighty thousand dollar repair, right?" If they're running double, they're suddenly going, "No, something's not right here," and they don't want to buy it. So you can get stuck with a the property then. Um, I haven't been stuck with one that I've had to cancel out on in many years because I make sure I get my numbers right at the beginning. I make sure it's a property in a desirable area. I understand what the true value is and I can prove that and back that up in writing with the, with the comps, right? With comparables, I can prove what that number is. And the same thing with the repair estimate. I, I give out accurate repair estimates so when my rehabbers look at the photos, they know because the photos are kind of like having it in writing, right? If a if a picture speaks a thousand words and I send somebody 15 or 20 photos of the property, I've spoken a lot of words to them. They can look at those photos and know whether or not my repair estimate is accurate. It doesn't have to be down to the penny, but at least in the ballpark. And that's what I'm aiming for with my repair estimate.
2: And at what point after you have the contract signed from the seller, do you begin that research? Has that research already been done about the comparables, about the estimates?
1: Yeah, that's all been done in advance. Okay. Um, I always know what that's worth going in because that's the only way I can target the negotiation, right? To make sure I'm signing the contract below what I could resell it for. Other, other, if I don't get to that point, then I didn't have a successful negotiation. And even if they want to say yes, I can't. So we both have to be able to say yes. So I know that going in. And that's why if I don't, Hear positive results from or positive interest from buyers in the first couple of days. I know something's wrong. I must have miscalculated.
2: Makes sense. So that's helpful information. I, I wonder if you might have uh, an example or two so that the listener can get a a real idea or a concrete idea for how these work in real life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, because a lot of people come to me and they're they're concerned about the contractual side of the business, right? They get they get scared by that. Like, how does it protect me and Uh, what happens if the seller tries to flake out or what happens if something goes south? And since control is such a key part of getting paid, I always, I I say, I do that through the contracts, through the contract, managing the conflicts, using the contracts and the entire process that we followed is all a matter of control. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, I had a property in my local area with an out of state absentee owner and the guy lived up in Minnesota. I went through my negotiation process like I always do, make sure all the objections were handled, he was getting what he wanted, uh, all his problems were being solved. Now, there was nothing particularly wrong with the property in my area. It was more he wanted the money. He said, I'm never going to come back to that area. I want the money to be able to move on with his life up in Minnesota where he was. So fantastic. So I addressed absolutely all of his issues. All of his problems were being solved. And he was going to walk away when all was said and done. He was going to clear a quarter of a million dollars. He was going to make a $250,000 profit on this property. So $250,000 cash in his pocket. Hmm. Fantastic. So he's happy. I'm happy. Great. I have it set where I'm going to make a $25,000 wholesale fee. So nice chunk of change for me. Really nice chunk of change for him. Everybody's going to be happy. So he says, yes. I present the contract. I email it to him. He signs it, sends it back. Fantastic. We're good to go. I get it with my settlement uh, agent. We start the process. We're doing the title work. We're starting to move towards closing. And one day the phone rings and, you know, ring, ring. Oh, hello, uh, my name is so-and-so and I'm an attorney representing my seller. I'm thinking, well, this can't be good. What's an attorney? Intern- what is he getting an attorney of all for? Oh, my client no longer wants to sell the property. I went, oh, really? Now, why is why is that? I mean, what? how can anyone possibly object to a quarter of a million dollars cash in their pocket? Well, here's what happened. Um, This was, again, he's an out-of-state absentee owner, and he had a tenant living in the property. Now, the property manager, what do property managers also generally do for a living? They're real estate agents. Mm. So when this property manager found out that, wait a minute, I've been managing this property all these years for you, and then you went and sold it and didn't even ask me? Because all he was thinking about was his commission as an agent. Could have gotten that commission, all, you know. So he felt cheated out of it and put a guilt trip onto my seller. So now my seller feels guilty and wants to cancel with me to be able to sell through the agent because the attorney says to me, "Well, the seller can get more money. Uh, how much more? Well, it was about six percent more, <laughs> which to me was stupid because six percent is exactly you know the amount of money that would be the agent's fee. So I'm thinking this guy's still going to walk away with a quarter of a million dollars in his pocket he's going to get 6% more on the purchase price but then spend 6% on on the uh, on the agent's fees and that just didn't sit right with me you know i i you know worked with this guy and worked through all his issues solved this problem put together. and now he's trying to pull the rug out from underneath me purely because somebody else is interfering in the deal so i uh i you know i call my contracts bulletproof for a reason and I don't, I don't take that lightly, and I don't just say that. And this was yet another opportunity to prove it. So I decided to push ahead and compel him to sell the property. So since he had lawyered up, I needed the lawyer up. So I went to one of the attorneys that wrote the contracts with me, and I said, okay, we're being challenged. Let's, uh, let's confront this challenge. He said, well, it'll be very interesting to see what they go after because there's nothing they can so, which of course, is what you would expect from the attorney that wrote the contracts to yeah. say. So, uh, he, you know, he said, Let, let's see what they come at. Here's what they came after. And there's an excellent lesson in this. They said, you know what? We don't think you ever put the $100 down in escrow. Because when the person says yes, I bind the contract with $100 consideration. That's it. Just 100 bucks. But that's so little that they assume that I probably didn't do it. Now, did I do it? Mm, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> Here's the thing: rather than send hundred dollars to my uh, settlement agent every time I was going to do uh, do a deal, I just had sent them, you know, five hundred dollars as a retainer, with the instruction that anytime I, I anytime I send you a contract, you're to take that money out of escrow and and earmark it towards that property. Okay, and I had emails showing that I had said that to them, which is a good reason to always communicate in writing. Email makes this easier than ever. So there's a great lesson there. And so he said, well, that, that should settle it. But of course, no, the seller's attorney came back and said, no, we don't believe you actually You actually did have $100 uh, in your escrow account. So we wanna see an accounting of that account. Uh, Harry, uh, they did an accounting I, I had not topped up the escrow account for a while. I had something like 130 bucks left in it. I mean, I literally slid by by the skin of my teeth. But it's a very important lesson to always make sure you don't screw around and you have that $100 escrow money placed into escrow or have, you know, do what I did and have a uh, have an escrow, have you know, have the money in escrow ready to be earmarked, but make sure it gets earmarked every time and don't let that account slip because you can get into mm-hmm. trouble. So I had a perfectly legal, legally bonding contract. They had no other way around it. And guess what? He had to sell. Now, was I hurting a guy by forcing him to take a quarter of a million dollars in cash? I don't I think, think, so. think so. And I don't think so either. So it was, I, it was one of those things where you just, you want, you know, people say, oh, are you a big mean investor? I, I don't think so in this case. I, I was solving all his problems, got those out. And the only reason he wound up wanting to cancel out with me was because somebody else was coming along and interfering just for their whopping 6%. So I saved the deal, saved my $25,000 wholesale fee, made my buyer very happy, and quite honestly, I can't imagine that the seller was that upset with a quarter of a million dollars. Now, let me talk about another angle of, of bulletproof contracts, just to show I'm not a big, mean, nasty guy forcing people to sell their property. When you have a solid contract, That control is yours. Like it was up to me to decide to push ahead and make him do what he said he was going to do. And I did what I said I was going to do. But let me flip that around. I had a property that uh, was a rental and I was selling it to a buyer that I sell to all the time. This gentleman's been one of my best buyers over time. And he's he's a buy and hold buyer, right? He buys rental properties from me. So a lot of times I will specifically go out and target my marketing towards the types of properties that I know some of my buyers want. Because then it's a really easy sale, right? I have the person in mind. I don't even need to put it out to my buyers list. I just call them and it's done. And that was the case with this one particular property. I was like, this is perfect. This had his name written all over it. Awesome. He went, he looked at it. He said, yes. He signed my assignment contract. I've now got him locked in he has to buy the property he signed my assignment contract that's every bit as bulletproof as my sales contract with the seller right my, my as also bulletproof is my assignment contract with the buyer so with my assignment contract being every bit as bulletproof the buyer has no choice now but to buy but the next day my phone rings and i answer and it's my buyer and he sounds shaken on the phone and i said hey man what's up what's what's the matter what's going on he said, um, Thomas, I... Uh, he always calls me Thomas. But he uses my full name. And uh, he said, Thomas, I um, uh, uh, I don't know how to say this. I said, go, go ahead, man. What's the matter? He said, um, my wife was just diagnosed with a brain tumor. And she's six months pregnant with twins. Wow. And the doctors don't know if they could save her, much less the girls. And I... I was wanted to ask you if maybe, and I said, hey, I said, listen for a second. And I tore the assignment contract up. I said, what you were going to ask me is if you needed to go ahead and buy this property. And the the technical answer is yes, he did, right? I have him completely under my control because my contract accounts for that. At the he would have lost his his escrow money, which is not hundred dollars on my assignment. It's my entire wholesale fee. He would have paid my entire wholesale fee, which in this case was $10,000. So it would have been a $10,000 penalty for not moving ahead hmm. with it. But I'm not a nasty, awful guy. And this is a, you know obviously a, a, something awful and horrible. And he's another human being and somebody I like. And I simply did what I thought was best. And that was to let him out of it scot-free. And I tore up the legal contract. So something that was bulletproof, I tore it up because that was my choice because I have control. And the interesting thing is I wasn't able to reassign that contract to anyone else. When I say this had his name written all over it, it did. I had found that for him. It was perfect for him. I couldn't find other buyers interested. They didn't like the neighborhood. They didn't like the type of house. They didn't like a bunch. That's fine. It wasn't for them. So I wound up losing the deal. Now, how much money did I lose in that deal? A big fat zero. I lost nothing other than my time. Because remember, what also part of my bulletproof contracts is that the, I don't, I didn't have to go through, go ahead with the contract I had with the seller. I was able to use some of my escape clauses. I pressed my eject button and got out because I wasn't able to find a buyer. So I stayed safe and I kept him safe because of my choice. Now, I think we should probably uh, tell the happy ending to that yeah. story. <laughs> and the happy ending is, That I don't know how they did it, but uh, both babies were born. They are very healthy, beautiful young girls, and the wife is healthy and fine and tumor free.
2: That's that's a great great ending to that story.
1: It was, and he's continued to buy from me since, and I continued to sell to him. And sometimes you just do that. Do I worry about the ten thousand dollars I quote unquote lost? No, because I I did it for the right reasons. So when you have my, my whole point here is when you have. A set of contracts that is bulletproof. It gives you control, and control is such an important part of getting paid. And you do that primarily by exercising your legal rights through solid legal contracts.
2: And I think just the last piece on that would be the conversation you had with the seller at that point, right? And just letting him know that um, you weren't able to find a buyer. Yes,
1: kind of an awkward conversation. Not a, admittedly, not a pleasant conversation. I had to, I had to go to my seller and say hey, look, some things have changed. Um, I've I've looked at it. Um, My partners aren't comfortable with it. I can't find other partners that are interested. I usually refer to my buyers as my partners, because they are, right? I'm partnering with them on this deal. They're going to buy it from me and pay me. And I said, uh, so of course, what what always happens is they start to want to renegotiate. And um, uh, unfortunately, I had already talked to my buyers that had at least looked at looked at my photos of it, looked at the area and evaluated They just weren't interested because normally if you ever get stuck, when it comes time to renegotiate, you want to know where you're renegotiating to so that you know whether or not it would work. And in order to do that, you you reach out to your buyers that did see the property or express some interest and say, now what, okay, you don't want it, but what would you buy at? And they tell you that number and then you go back to your seller and renegotiate to, to that number so that it would work. In this case, there was nothing. I just had to let it go. And it's, it's a little unpleasant, but you get over it very fast. And I, you know, the conversation is, "Yeah, I'm, I'm invoking, you know, the clauses I have in my contract that allow me to get out on based on inspection and other things." And we're done, and we walk away scot free.
2: Yeah, I think the takeaway there is really to have in mind that you always always want to do the right thing, not only by your sellers, but by your buyers as well and I think if you think of it as a as a long-term play and not something where you're you're, it's not a get-rich-quick scheme it's it's if you're in this ideally you're in this for the long haul and there'll be times when you'll come across situations like you just outlined and I think you have to think about it uh, you know what you think you have to think about your reputation you have to think about the relationships you've built and cultivated over over the years with your with your buyers and I think um, that's I imagine that's a lot of what drove your decision process here.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You want to have the, you know, the human approach, the right approach, the, you know, the correct state, you want to do things the right way. There's no, there's enough scam artists out there in the world. You don't, you don't need to join them. There's so many honest, legitimate ways of making money. You don't need to go over to the dark side to make things happen.
2: Well, that was very helpful. I think that was a nice overview of contracts. Uh, A lot of good examples for folks to, to, to sink their teeth into and to think about all the different ways that these obviously these negotiations can go right and, and sometimes they can go astray and i think if you have a good framework to follow then um i think you'll find that uh you, these will be easier as you go along
1: yeah absolutely
2: so i think we can um put a bow on that for contracts and we can dive deeper into get paid in the next episodes sounds good Thanks for listening. Your next step is to visit GetTractionPodcast.com. There you'll find all current episodes and a link to download a free copy of Tom's DealFlow Cheat Sheet. Happy wholesaling!